to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. This week we have gone and watched Alita Battle Angel, I think is the name of this film. It's, um, I think, produced by James Cameron. It's got some sort of involvement with Robert Rodriguez. It's based on an anime, um, and we all went to see it. So I'm joined by Maggie, Gerald, and Anja. Say hello, everybody. Hi! Hello. Yep. Hi, okay, everybody. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> we just had technical difficulties earlier, so I'm glad everybody is audible, <laughs> I think. Um, so, yeah. So, this is going to be a full spoilers podcast um, for Alita Battle Angel. Um, what do we think of it? Let, let's, let's go around the table. Who wants to go first? Or should I go first? I'll go first. Why not? I'll go first. Um, yeah. I thought this was... Not a particularly good film, unfortunately, and I was kind of disappointed because when I was watching this film, I felt like it had some sort of cool ideas, and I felt like it could have been a really good film, but it ended up not really being a particularly good film, and I felt like the main reason why this wasn't really a very good film was that... um, Within the space of two hours, it felt like a long film, but within that time, they tried to do a lot of stuff and tried to do a lot of plot exposition and tried to push the plot along pretty rapidly and sometimes nonsensically. Um, And as a result, none of the characters really felt particularly developed in my mind. I felt there were these themes that they kind of really lightly touched on and... It, uh, it was very unsatis- unsatisfyingly concluded. Um, yeah, I, I just felt like they tried a, to do a lot in a very short period of time, a lot of plot in a very short period of time, and in the end they made a plot that was not super coherent, was not super engaging, and had characters that were very superficial. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was my main sort of concern with this film. I really wanted to like this film, though, because, um, like, I I really like this sort of the cyberpunk aesthetic, and I feel like, as a world, the concept artists spent a lot of time really working on this world of Alita, right? Like, the from an artistic perspective, I felt they really, like, went to town, but I don't feel like, as a movie, it really went came together very well. Um... Do people agree with me this week, or do they violently disagree with me? Someone, please. Oh, Darren, I don't... don't... Go on, Gerald. Darren, I don't disagree with you. I think the movie is overstuffed, because there's just so much going on. This movie is the Born Identity meets Robocop, meets The Hunger Games, meets Elysium. And so there are so many plotting and character elements thrown in together none of which are particularly well-developed. Um, and um, and so it, it is it is overstuffed, and the movie felt a whole lot longer than it's in its running time. Having said that, the trailer for this movie was so bad, was so <laughs> extra, promised so little, that this movie vastly exceeded my expectations. Really? So wow. In, in, spite, in spite of myself, I had not so bad time at the cinema. Mm. You know, I, I thought... I thought visually the movie was very interesting. The production design was was outstanding. Even though we've seen the dystopian cyberpunk aesthetic before, um, this nonetheless was still visually captivating. I think 
a lot of the action scenes were very, very well put together. It is so rare to find action scenes that are so kinetic that um, happen at such high speed, which you can nonetheless more or less follow and understand spatially. I would agree I mean, with this, that. The, yeah, these yeah. were these were just sort of these were just sort of random quick cuts spliced together to make a visually incoherent action scene in the matter of Michael Bay. This Robert Rodriguez, for all his flaws as a filmmaker, has a sufficiently good eye to be able to compose action sequences that are coherent that are capable of being followed with the human eye. Hmm. And so I thought that was that was very much in its favour. And so. Um, and, and so there were enough of these action scenes spaced throughout the film to give me at least a bit of a visceral thrill um, as I was watching it. And so whilst I don't disagree with your assessment of the movie and its, and its fundamental flaws, I nonetheless more or less had a fun time in the cinema. So, um, so was it a great – was it a masterpiece? No. Was it a, was it a, was it a cyberpunk um, epic on the scale of Blade Runner or Blade Runner 2049? No. But, you know – it was perfectly fine and serviceable. Mm, okay. Um, Andrew, Mags? Andrew, why don't you go saw, next? Yep, yep. I thought it was a lot of fun, actually. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, <laughs> Gerald made the comment that the, it seemed like there were five storylines um, running. Um, and to be honest, I didn't notice that. Um, I was quite captured with the main storyline of Alita herself. I found the character really compelling. Um, thought the action was brilliant, like really, really different and um, captivating. I mean, it's not often you see a torso kicking ass. Like, you know what I mean? It was amazing. Um, I thought, look, I think this is one, I feel like this is one of a trilogy. Um, I think there's almost certainly going to be two more movies coming up. And so I didn't mind that the character, there wasn't a huge amount of character development for all, for many of the characters. I think there was a good deal of development for Alita and even for her, you know, uh, quote unquote, father um, or for the mother. Um, I can't remember their names, unfortunately. Um, I think that the movie did a really good job of setting up some mysteries. Like, what is that world above them? I can't remember the name of the world. But, like, what is that world? What What is it there for? How did it come to be? Why are the Erm people, the United Martians, whatever they are, why are they fighting against the um, the people who are elevated on platforms on the Earth? How did it all come to be? Like, it sets up these mysteries, and I'm really curious about what the answers are, and it never answers them. And I think it gets away with that, um, you know, by, by setting it up for another movie. So, um, yeah, look, I thought it would be really creepy to watch someone who looks a bit like a baby or at least like a, like a child, um, do these graphic, do these hardcore action scenes, but it wasn't really for some reason. Um, I thought the love story was very underdeveloped and not very interesting, but I, I like the concept of this girl who has, um, who has to sort of come into her own and discover her powers and, um, you know, just very, very, very pure-hearted on the side of right, no blurred no lines. It's kind of nice to sort of watch that every now and then. Really, though? Um, Were there really no yeah, blurred lines? I mean, <laughs> let's think about this one. Because, anyway, look, we'll, we'll get back to it. But, um, All right, let's get back to it. Yeah. Mags? Yeah. 
That's cool. Very interesting. Um, so I sort of fell along the lines of Darren, actually. Um, I thought it was quite an immature and incoherent film that was way too long. Um, there was a point where I turned to Darren, I think three quarters into the movie, and I just I just had to ask him when it was going to end because I felt exhausted <laughs> mentally. Um, and I felt bad because right next to Darren was this, like, 12-year-old who was clearly really enjoying himself. So, like... <laughs> Um, and that was, you know, it's the right age group, PG. Is it like it's rated PG 12 plus or something is it? like that? How is yeah. that film rated PG? So many people get decapitated. What? <laughs> people get back to that. Um, but that's just, I found it mentally exhausting, not because it was a particularly complex story that challenged me, but because I had to work so hard to work out what the hell was going on and to find something that was worth grasping onto. Um, I thought that exploration of teenage angst was quite superficial and weak. Um, I really, really wanted to like the character of Alita and to find an affinity with her, but I just couldn't. Um, the only character that I um, attuned to, I suppose, was um, her father, Dr. Edo, and I wasn't sure if it was because of the character Dr. Edo or because I thought Christoph Waltz did such a good job in trying to make something out of nothing. Um I thought it was also really unbelievable when you think about it that all of that, besides the ending, took place within a few days. Um, <laughs> and the, there are, I completely agree with um, Gerald and Anager that the action sequences were kick ass. They were incredibly choreographed and really well designed. Um, and the animation as well of Alita and the other um, robotic characters was incredible. Incredible. There was that one point where I think that. Do this incredible close-up of her skin, and you can see the pores and all the fine, like the fine hairs on the skin. That was, that blew my mind. Um, but the rest of the movie, uh, I could, yeah, I think I could leave it. I could definitely yeah. leave. It. Yeah. I was definitely the twelve-year-old. Like I was like, don't end. I don't yeah. have to end. Really? <laughs> wow. When will it end? <laughs> wow. <laughs> So, look, let, let, let's get into it then, right? Because I, I think at the core of this um, is, like, look, to be, to be honest, the reason why I felt it was so unsatisfying as a film is because I didn't feel like the characters were, were very well developed. I felt there were a lot of characters that were um, stuffed in there. Let's leave Hugo aside for a bit, right? Because he is... He is completely, like, he's, he's not very interesting. <laughs> yeah, poor guy, but he's not very interesting, right? But, like, I guess, like, for me, like, one of the... I felt like at the core of this film, it, it could have been a film that was about the father and the daughter and the teenage girl experience, right? Like, raising mm. a daughter and then, you know, like, simultaneously the father needs to learn to let go of the daughter. And at the same time, the daughter needs to learn how much the father actually loves her, right? Like, there's this sort of compromise sort of thing that is kind of at the heart of a lot of these sort of coming-of-age stories, right? And I thought probably the best moment for that was when she gets... So, at one point in the film, Alita... Like, okay, so this is... This also ties into why, like, from a plot perspective, things just happen, and it's, like, in this film, and they just happen for purely plot reasons. So, at one point in this film, Alita, they take Alita for no reason to this abandoned Martian spaceship, and she just decides to walk in there and steal this body for herself. It's... 
really weird, right? But anyway, she brings this body home, right? And then later on in the film, her original body gets damaged and she has to um, be put into this new body, this sort of state-of-the-art, it's called the Berserker body, right? So, I mean, awesome, it looks sick, like, it's like a super cool robot body, and I felt that that was probably the most interesting moment in the film from the father-daughter relationship, because there's this moment where Alita gets put into the robot body, and um, basically she adjusts the body to her internal vision of herself, like her internal image of herself, and the father basically initially gives her a body which is quite a young body, right? But her vision of herself is a much older body, and I thought, oh, this is like a really interesting point they're trying to make about teenage father-daughter relationships, where one always thinks they're older than they really are, and the other one still thinks that they're a child, right? So there's that sort of... So I thought that was cool, but then the problem is that the relationship between them is not really explored in any sort of particular way beyond that, right? Because if you think about it, they really literally have four days together. Like, that's, it. He... that's why. That's why they can't be about his love for her, because he's known her for four days. Exactly. They can Sorry. touch on those interesting things, but they can't develop them. Yeah, and so this is why it felt so unsatisfying, right? Because, oh, what's going on in the background there? <laughs> There's all this weird stuff going on in the background. Okay, anyway. Um, but yeah, like, it's this is why I felt it was so unsatisfying, right? Because I felt like this film could have been a much deeper exploration of the teenage-daughter-father relationship. And it's not really, and it has some interesting elements, but it does this sort of very perfunctory, sort of superficial, like, play with it. And then Ido is kind of a surrogate father figure, but not really. But then she calls him dad at the end, and it's supposed to be an emotionally satisfying moment. But it's not, because they've known each other for four days. So it's just like, all this stuff happens in a really fast, like, really quickly, in a very short period of time. And as an audience, you're kind of, you kind of sitting there trying to understand whether I'm supposed to suspend disbelief that these emotional bonds have built up in such a quick period of time, or like, I, I don't, or I, the alternative is basically it just doesn't feel earned, right? So, yeah, like, I, I guess th- this was kind of a lot of my concern with the way the characters were built, right? Like, a lot of the stuff that the characters did was exposition-driven, plot exposition-driven, and you're told that they're like this. But then, in terms of actual actions they do to demonstrate these sort of character traits, you don't really have heaps heaps of those examples. Um, I feel like Darth Vader has just... Uh, yes! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure who that Darth Vader is. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure who it is. <laughs> interference. He disagrees with you. Lord Vader disagrees with me. <laughs> Don't choke me, please. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, do you guys... So, I mean... Did you you didn't feel that it was like those character relationships were quite superficially done? 
I did feel that they were superficial, but I didn't really want, need them to be any deeper just because I was perfectly happy just being invested in Alita's journey to come into her powers and to use them to destroy the bad guys. For some reason, I didn't need any more. And even though that other stuff is like fluff around this movie, I feel like that was just filler in between the action scenes. And I was, it was a fairly interesting as filler, as far as filler goes, it was perfectly interesting filler. Didn't need it to be particularly deep. I like the little points, like exactly like you said, you know, that her vision of herself was older and his vision was younger. Like they were cute little points um, in between the main game, which was the action. So I just mm. thought it was fun. Like I, it, I don't think it was a great movie. And when the sequel comes around, I don't think I'm going to want to see it because I'm going to have <laughs> forgotten it. Like, I'm going to have forgotten that I had fun and that I wanted to know what happened. Um, so it wasn't memorable, but it was just, I don't know, for some reason I found it satisfying mm, mm. as an action flick. Yeah, I, I guess, so this is this is really interesting, right? Because I guess I felt that, look, for whatever reason, when I was watching this film, I felt like, the filmmakers intended it to be deeper. While I guess you clearly read it as they didn't really intend it to be deeper and it was just really just an action film. So yeah, it's really interesting how like, yeah, that sort of reading of intention there fundamentally skews how you end up yeah. reading the film. Well, yeah. they wanted it to be deeper. They did a terrible job. No doubt about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing about death with this movie is James Cameron didn't just produce, he was one of the screenwriters. And James Cameron's entire, entire body of work is wholly lacking in depth. Uh, Avatar was Pocahontas with giant Smurfs. Titanic, uh, despite its pretensions and its incredible production design and special effects, was a movie entirely lacking in depth. The Billy Zane character in Titanic is one of the most cartoonish villains in a non-cartoon movie you will ever see. And then if you go back for the James Cameron action movies of the 80s, I mean, he is he is a filmmaker with no more depth than Michael Bay, except perhaps with a greater understanding of spatial awareness and how things relate to each other. <laughs> he, is, he, is, he is, despite that best director Oscar, a hack. He, he is very good at what he does, but he is fundamentally a hack. And we are kidding ourselves if we think that he is anything else. And time and time again, movies which involve him as a screenwriter um, demonstrate huge flaws in screenwriting. Now, Darren, you made the point that there is a lot of exposition done by character after character in this movie. But strangely enough, despite how exposition heavy this film is, it's actually impossible to understand the larger world of this movie. What is Erm? <laughs> Who is Nova? Why is it such a big deal that he's friggin' Ed Norton, that the movie, you know, sort of pauses for a second on Ed Norton's face, given that, you know, Ed Norton is well past his 90s heyday and is almost completely in irrelevance now. Why the movie thought it was such a big deal that Ed Norton had been cast as Nova, I don't know. And, you know, the, the, what is what is with Zelop? Why is it the only city that's still... Um, suspended in the air. There are so many questions left unanswered in this movie that you could be forgiven for thinking that Damon Lindelof had written it. <laughs> this is, 
it, it, so there are inter, as a as a piece of screenwriting, as a piece of storytelling structure, this movie is an utter abysmal mess. But yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear what what's going on, what the plot is. Okay, so. I'll, Obviously, the planet has gotten really polluted and gross, and then the cloud cities have set themselves up on the sky, where they, and they have lots of wells, and the, you know they're free of pollution, and they're exploiting the, the the underground city. But they're obviously up to no good, which is why a resistance has formed on Mars, um, known as Erm, and they are attacking, and they've 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 done really well because they are full of like super stellar like warriors with ancient technology. Um, where ancient is better than new, and they have succeeded in destroying all of the cloud cities except for one, and that one is headed by Nova, and that one is obviously special and ultra-powerful because it's managed to survive, and that is the plot. And, yeah, there's nothing special about Nova other than he is the villain and he's just been unmasked, and we're going to find out more about him next episode, and we're going to find out more about these unanswered questions <laughs> next episode. I love yeah. how you're so passionately defending the huge plot holes <laughs> in this film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What, what is Nova's agenda? Why is he what, the only was... person in the Sky City, it seems? It seems he's the only <laughs> citizen of the Sky City. There's no one else in the Sky City. He's the only one who has any contact with the rest of the world. What? Why? Why is he there? How is it possible that a, that a city that's got only one person in it can produce so much waste? Yes, exactly. What? I, like, I'm kind of unclear. Are there other people living there with him? Like, is he just the mayor of Sky City? Like, this, it's just, this film... Okay, and so the other thing is, like... So, one of these great examples, I think, of why this film um, says stuff to you, but doesn't show it to you, is, like, you know this idea of this undercity that they all live in? Iron City? Is that what it's yes. called? Iron City, right? Iron City is supposed to be this horrible, horrible place, right? So... Like, that's meant to play into Hugo's motivation to try to um, escape into the Sky City, Zalem, right? But the problem is that the city that's actually shown on screen is not really that horrible. Because they show these, like, lively, multicultural markets. You know, there's children playing in the streets. Like, there's chocolate and oranges, and everybody seems to be fed. No one seems to be starving. They have these bars where, like, these, like, bounty hunters can... Like, it's just, like... I mean, the city seems a little bit dangerous at night because the bounty hunters are, are out and about. But it's like... I mean, they have this police force that kind of cleans things up as well. It's not such a horrible... Hellhole, right? Yeah, like... That's the human organ trafficking. That you know, other than that, it's not bad. Is there, is there, is there really human organ trafficking? It's just the because they they show him attacking the, the 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 sports star, right? But that's because they've ordered it. The organized crime has ordered a hit on him. So yes, there's well, no. Real... Nova is conducting experiments using human organs. Remember. And when um, when Mershla Ali's character says at the end, the only way anybody actually gets up is through their organs because Nova's conducting experiments. But, but so I do think that they. But he's not doing that to everybody. It's like Nova, like Mahersh, what's Mershla Ali's character called? 
Vector. 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 Vector is basically running a racket for Nova, right? Where he mm. cons people, like cons people into like giving him all this money and then he murders them, right? So he's straight up a criminal, right? But then in terms of the... So I think you have to expect that in any society there are like criminal elements to it. But when you look at the overall city itself, it doesn't necessarily paint this picture of horribleness all the time, right? Like, so are you saying you'd be quite happy to live on the, under, the, the underground city versus what you... the glimpses you got of the cloud city? Well, we don't know anything about the Cloud City, let's be honest, right? We just know that it's this thing in the sky. What we know about the Undercity is that it is, like, it's not like there's huge starvation. It's pretty multicultural. Everybody seems to get along. And, like, fine, they they play this sort of sports game, which is pretty brutal. But, like, you know, it's not, like, I, I guess, like, you, the exposition... What comes out of their mouths is this idea that they're living in this hellhole. But then mm. what is portrayed is not, might sure. not be the best place. Of, like, I mean, it might not be paradise, but it's not a hellhole either, right? So, sure. it's, it's, so, I mean, I think this comes to, like, the character of Hugo, right? A hugely, like, geez, what the hell was going on with that character? But, like, the problem with his character is that his major motivation is that he wants to go to Salem. But it's not shown that, like, he does, like, petty crime and all this type of stuff. Well, no, he does pretty major crimes, actually, because he essentially murders people to try to get into Salem. But then it's, the problem there is that for his character, for that to be kind of, for us to have some sort of sympathy with his character, you need to show that he is in such dire straits that his family is, like, sort of, you know, dying or whatever it is, right? And that this this city is treating him so poorly that he has no option but to, like, look to the skies for, like, paradise, right? But that's not really what happens here. True. Yeah, so... And that's why he's not very sympathetic and, you know, what he does is pretty awful. Yeah, I mean, him as a character is just... Uh, uh, like, he is, like, this weird... Physically, he's like this weird, like, love child of Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Taylor Lautner, right? It's like they meshed those two people together, and that was the guy who went to play Hugo, right? True. <laughs> um, yeah, but, yeah, I, I found, I felt like this was also, like, this was also one of my issues with the film, right? I felt like you were supposed to really sympathize with Hugo, because the final scene where he's like hanging, you know, like, he's trying to climb up to Zalem. I felt like that was supposed to be James Cameron's very emotional, cathartic scene, right? And the problem is that because you don't really sympathise with him that much, the way he's portrayed as is, like, he was just a really... He was just a really bad crush for a leader to have, right? Mm. Like, it's, it's not like, oh, he was the love of her life, or he was, like he was such a sort of noble spirit or whatever it was, right? He was just like some guy, right? Like it was, just the, he was just the douchey boyfriend. He was, he was in essence more Billy Zane than Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. True. Um, yeah. Yeah. But maybe that's really well reflective <laughs> of your ordinary teenage girl's first crush. Like maybe it is generally a very bad crush for one to have. But then she she spends and then and then at the end of the so this happens and then the film fast forward fast for it fast forward like 
um, six months or however yeah. many months. Yep. And she has spent the intervening time basically becoming like death ball champion, whatever the sport, motorball, I think, is the sport they play. Motorball champion because of this lost love. Right? Like, isn't it implied is that, that, is that isn't it implied that she's doing it because of him? <laughs> no, I thought the reason is that she had remembered that when she, in her past life, her mission had been to destroy that cloud city, and that's what she wants to do. Mm, okay. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I think Anna just got this one. Okay. I think Anna just read this one, right? Yeah. Uh, but having said that, having said that, there is an attempt by the, on the part of the movie to turn. Uh, Hugo and Alita into a great love story because they exchange the L word a couple of times, particularly as he as he falls to his doom. And I haven't seen I haven't seen the words "I love you" so badly used in a movie since um, Spectre. So <laughs> look, if someone's going to fall to their doom, aren't you going to toss them the L word? Come on, they're what? Why are you <laughs> Mag, sorry. Really? And let them and, and let them know everything they're gonna miss as they die? <laughs> Mag <laughs> Mag, sorry, what were you saying? I was just saying the L word being lame. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you're lame. And then you're lets him go. Too. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. I I don't know. I, it's interesting because like I was just having a look at Rotten Tomatoes. And you got a 60% rating with critics and over 90% rating with audiences. Really? Yeah. Yes, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so, look, I, I will agree, though, right? The action sequences are amazingly done. Like, the motorball, you know the scene when she is in the motorball arena with the seven or eight other bounty hunters? Mm. And mm. that is a scene that could have just evolved into a chaotic mess, right? Because there's so many guys on the screen, and it's this very fast-paced, like, she's basically skating through this arena, right? This super fast-paced arena. And, you know, Jez is right, right? Nowadays, in terms of action, we've kind of become used to these super frenetic scenes that don't make any sense, that spatially you can't really place yourself, right? Um, mm-hmm. But in this this action sequence, I mean, it was basically all done in CG, right? But it was done in such a way that spatially you were always aware of what was going on, right? So, And it was like cool action as well. Like, oh, 100%. The action in this film was legit. Like, it was exactly. really cool fight scenes. You knew what was going on. The motorball scene was fast, frenetic, and, like, you didn't feel confused at any point, right? You you knew exactly who was doing what and, like, who was getting hit and whatever it was, right? It was... That, that was that was super well done. So, agree, right? So, if audiences love action, this is... This is absolutely, in terms of action yeah. scenes, this and, is and I find I find in an action movie, I can overlook just about everything if the action is really good. Mm. Yeah, but the thing is, for me, if they had removed half of the um, irrelevant storyline, <laughs> it would have been a really tight action movie, and I think it would have, like, done... It would have done so much better, and I think it would have a chance of surviving as a franchise. But because he added all that stuff in, I don't like. It, would it does it stand up to a Marvel movie, for example, in terms of no. franchise punching? <laughs> no. It definitely doesn't. So if you know James Cameron's trying to create a franchise that can rival, you know, something like um, 
the Avengers or be the new Hunger Games or something like that. I, I don't know if he's done that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, all that other stuff is added in to humanize her, right? Like, if it was all, if it was just action, she just wouldn't be very human. And they're trying to add all that human stuff in through the love story, the father-daughter relationship, the friendships, all of that stuff. Um, I get that they didn't do the best job there. And I actually think when we watch Captain Marvel in March, that mm. will be a great comparison because I think in some ways there's a similar story oh, I think there. So, and yeah. I think they're going to yeah. do it so well, though, so it's uh, it'll be good to yeah good to compare. So, uh, like you know, I want to bring up Skyscraper actually because we watched that film earlier last year and we kind of all liked it. And Skyscraper is also not a sort of masterpiece of cinema, but I felt that Skyscraper, like, knew what it was and didn't try to do too much. Right, Skyscraper had a very <laughs> simple, tight story, which is basically a man saving his family, the end, right? Um, and I felt like, I think I do agree with Mags, that I felt like if James Cameron had pulled his ego in a little bit and just tightened the story up and made it less convoluted and like less exposition-y, he could have had a super cool action film with a very tight core that people would have like been like, okay... Like, I'm hooked now. Now give me more exposition about the world. You can build more about the world now, right? Instead, we've got this film which is kind of like a little bit of world building and a a lot of sort of extra plot elements and very cool, undeniably cool action. And it's kind of just... Yeah, I don't know. I I felt like maybe, like, if he really intended to make this a multi-film franchise, he could have probably put some of that stuff to, like, later... Um, movies and just done a much better job in terms of characterization and like plot tightness essentially so yeah um, Daz are you at all with the source material? I I remember watching it when I was a kid right so like I think so in terms of anime right like there was this period in the late 90s when um, anime kind of first came to the states and they kind of, like, the people in the States started licensing certain anime, which I don't, like, I think they were okay popular in Japan, but they weren't, like, the hottest thing in Japan, right? But they got licensed for the States, and so certain anime got a lot of traction in the States that didn't necessarily get a huge traction in Japan. So, like, I mean, I think when we were kids, SBS showed, like, Ninja Scroll, this film, Ninja Resurrection. I I asked... That question because I'm wondering now whether the, the defects in the storytelling in this movie are so much a product of James Cameron or were also apparent in the source material. I don't know because I don't know the source material so, at all. So I do have a view on that, right? I feel like um, it is partially James Cameron, right? Because in the OVA, the OVA, the 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 animation, that the anime that we watched when in the '90s, right? That anime was very focused on her and her being a bounty hunter. They didn't really have any of this motorball stuff, right? And it was, yeah. So it was it was a lot more like, and it was a lot grittier. It was basically about her and Ido going out bounty hunting, right? <laughs> like there was a lot of very graphic like, hardcore violence, like, just, like, intense action, right? And I I think the anime kind of didn't really spend a lot of time on the sort of super, like, the sort of, I guess, the 
characterization elements of it as much, I want to say, but it was like, it was, it felt like a tighter story because it was just about the bounty hunting aspect of it, right? Um, I felt like Cameron tried to do more. Like, I, I think if you read the manga, like the comic, they had all those motorball aspects and stuff like that. But the difference is that, like, when you're reading a comic, it's a different medium to a movie, right? You have a lot longer period of time. You, you have multiple issues where you can deal with various facets of the world and bring it in, right? You can have time skips and stuff like that, which create a sense of bonding and illusion, right? Like, so, for example, like, Edo's relationship with Alita, I, I honestly felt with this film, they could have put a time skip in there and... It would have, like, you would have been basically, create. you would have been given the illusion that they had spent time together to bond as a mm. father and a daughter, right? Like, anyway, like, I, I do feel like Cameron tried to stuff a lot of stuff into this film that was not even in kind of the anime version of this film. And I think the other big, the other big thing is the character of Hugo, right? Because, um... I don't know if you ever watched it, because I, I remember this was shown when we were in high school, Gerald. But, like, um, the character of Hugo, I remember in the anime film, is... Um, he has this whole story about why he desperately wants to get to Salem, and it's because his brother, try, I think, built this device to try to get himself up there, and he got ratted out and killed by the authorities. So he has kind of taken his dream, his brother's dream on, which is why he is so desperate to get up there, right? And I think the character of Hugo in the anime is actually almost like a street urchin. He's much... He's, the way he's drawn anyway is, feels like he's much younger than the guy who's in this film. And there's a cer- certain sense of, like, um, naivety, like... It's almost like a, there's almost like an Oliver Twist style thing, you know, where like the kids in Oliver Twist partake in crimes, but there's also a certain idealism and naivety about them. So, like, so that character in I feel in some ways is a lot more sympathetic because he has a lot more reason to be obsessed about getting to this cloud city, which in this I don't think he has as much reason to be obsessed about getting to the cloud city. And also he's like this little kid. And so you kind of get the sense that, you know, that, that idealism is part of that little kid's kind of character. The the way the final scene is also portrayed in the animation is I think a lot better than the way Cameron, because so that scene where, you know, they're climbing the, the pipes, the big pipes mm. up to the thing. Yeah. And then the big defense sort of buzzsaw comes down the pipe and destroys mm. the body, right? What happens, I think, in the anime, if I remember correctly, is that um, he tries to jump to the... Like, he tries to jump the first defense saw, and it destroys his body, and he only has his body... his arms left, and he um, basically continues crawling up when he's got nothing oh. but his arms, right? So there's this really, like brutal scene of this body that is just completely destroyed and he's like using like his tooth and nail to continue to climb up and then the second defense thing comes down and that's when he gets thrown off the thing and Alita catches him so visually the scene where she's got the knife and she's she's like knife to the side of the pipe and she's holding his like half body is like I think it's both in the manga and in the 
anime version of it, but I felt like in the anime version, it's done in such a way which makes you really feel horrible for this guy, right? Because for him, this is his everything, right? Like he, like, he continues to fight on even when it's, like, completely useless, essentially, right? Mm. And so it's almost like this psychological scar within his character. And Hugo in this film is not built like that. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm reading. I, I don't know what you guys felt, but I definitely didn't no. You're feel, right. Yeah, I don't feel like Hugo was built in that way in this film. Yeah. Yeah, um, you don't you don't get a sense of desperation with Hugo. He's you know he 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 he's, he seems pretty well fed. He seems pretty well clothed. Um, his life, while it requires him to um, hack uh, people up in the streets, doesn't seem like so bad a life that his overriding urge above everything, even in the expense of wanting to leave Alita at one point, is directed towards getting up to Zalem. You just don't understand that level of desperation on his part. And in fact, when, after everything, he gets onto the cable and starts climbing his way up to Zalem, you just think, what an idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, because the one thing I remember about Battle Angel Alita, like the anime, was... I really remember that final scene with Hugo. Like, I remember watching that scene and going, wow, this is a brutal scene. This is really, like, if, yeah. And so it left, an, in de- like, a lasting mark. And this film doesn't have the same, it doesn't have the same impact for, for, for that scene. So, um, yeah, like, I, I think Cameron definitely, um, yeah, and I think potentially the reason why uh, I probably have a more negative reaction to this film than Anja does is that I I do kind of have a have a sense of you know that James Cameron's delusions of grandeur, <laughs> but yeah, maybe maybe that's that's unfair. But anyway, and do you get the sense? And do you get the sense that Cameron, in part, looked at the underlying source material and picked out parts of it and then rearranged that entire stew of narrative elements and tried to stick it within a framework that almost made it seem more like young adult fiction. So there was a lot of, there were a lot of um, Hunger Gamesy type elements in this movie, um, which seems somewhat at odds with the source material that you're describing. Yeah. So this is where I'm, so when you said, said that what I'm, what immediately came to my mind was, what if that was actually intentional? What if he actually wanted to build a young adult franchise? Right? That no, made... I, I, I have no doubt that it was intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I... I yeah, I, w- when you said that, I'm like, yeah, maybe it doesn't really read as well for us, but maybe it's actually not meant for us. It's meant to be like a Twilight Saga-style thing for young adults with robots. Right? And those were young adults that... and me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> over ninety percent of audiences agree. <laughs> yeah, like now, I mean, just for the record, I should indicate that Anija watched every single Twilight movie in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and I read the so I read the entire series. Did you? No. Did I, you? I oh. did. I read it. Oh my god. Yeah. Gerald, I, I don't know if we can podcast with these people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Their credentials are in the mud now. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so look, maybe you're right, Jez. Maybe, like, 
the reason why they packed all this in and had all these like teen elements in it, it was just like, well, we're making it for the teen audience, so we have all mm. these. We need to have all these elements in there, and who cares if it's slightly less coherent? Because I guess they clearly didn't care about that in the past. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I've got to say the the relationship between uh, Bella and Edward in the first Twilight movie was a lot more believable than uh, Hugo and Elite in this one. Yes. So that's to, to be fair to Twilight. <laughs> to be wow, that's that's damning. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, look, we've talked a lot about Battle Angel. Well, Elite Battle Angel. Is that is it's Elite yeah. Battle Angel, right? Yep. Yeah. Elite yeah. Battle Angel. Um, is there anything else we want to say? Right, look. What my last parting thing would be, I felt like they really wasted Marshall Ali. Like, mm. his character was... What was the point of his character? His character did nothing. He was possessed yeah. 90% of the time. Yeah, we said the same thing in the car on the way back. He was wasted on this, in this film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Mahershala Ali right now is in almost every movie and every TV show. Yes, he's, he's, he's incredibly hardworking. In, if you're not watching him in Green Book, you're seeing him in, in True Detective. Um, and to see him in this role and to see him so completely and utterly wasted is tragic and heartbreaking. Uh, you know, I was really saddened when Mahershala, Mahershala Ali publicly stated that the reason why he accepted the role in Green Book was because no other movie script he's been given has offered him anywhere near as much screen time. And that is, I think, a savage indictment of the Hollywood making system. That the only way that Mahershala Ali could get the screen time that he deserves is to star in a movie like Green Book. Wow. I mean, we'll and, agree to disagree and, on and, that and, one. But. But, but, then, but, then you, but, but then you realize that the other stuff he's, be, he's being offered is stuff like Elite and Battle Angel. And you kind of understand why it is that he accepted the role in, in Green Book uh, uh, so willingly and threw himself um, with such passion and vim and vigor into into playing that character. Whereas yeah. in this movie, you just sort of... You, you, I mean, he has been in some awful projects in the past, not least of which was House of Cards. But I'll tell you what, House of Cards, and I say this without having seen, seen the final season, is the Sistine Chapel compared to this. Well, for his character, like in in terms of character, character work, yeah, yeah like his yeah. his character in this was just, yeah, Plus. Just, yeah, yeah. He had he had one good line that I really liked, which was you know that scene where he's um, having a drink with Hugo and he's trying to set him up to hand a leader over to him, mm. and he had that line about how he would rather be like in effect king of the underworld rather than at the bottom of hev- in heaven. Yes, yeah. correct. Um, Correct. I thought it okay. was an incredible line, and you yeah. can see. Yeah, but it's not even original because Satan says it in Paradise Lost. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but, but the... they couldn't explore it because Nova is Satan in heaven. Well, yeah. but but he's not. He's just some club. <laughs> he's not even. <laughs> he's just. A... He's a fallen angel. He's a minion. <laughs> he's a... in this film. He is a minion. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's just—he's just an evil yeah, sports administrator. That's Vector. Maggie's talking Vector. about Nova, who's the yeah. head of the Cloud City. He- Nova, the head of the Cloud City, is the devil in heaven. Yes, mm. but Vector says that, not Nova, right? 
Vector yeah. says it, and Vector said me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, like, okay, so again, right, th- these are like really interesting sort of cyberpunky sort of ideas that like are woven into a lot of like cool, like sort of cyberpunk style stories. And like he says it once and it's kind of a cool line, but it's never really explored because his character is, doesn't really have a character. He's just evil, like evil organized crime guy. That's it. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway. Yeah, he's, he's, he's evil, organized crime, and sports administration. Basically, <laughs> yes, Mahershma right. Ali's character, he's, 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 he's basically set bladder in the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, look, I think we've talked a lot about this film. Is there anything else we want to add, or are we pretty much done with it? I think we're done. Yeah, I, I think we're done as well. So, yes, I think the general consensus was that it was a pretty good action film, but I think we're torn on whether, well, I think we agree that it's not an amazing film, but I guess some of us feel like they probably should. That mattered more than others of us feel. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, okay, so, yeah, look, if you, if people want to watch a really cool set of action sequences, go watch Alita, but, um, I would Or just hold out for Captain Marvel. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what, what Captain Marvel ends up being, so, um... <laughs> It'd be so funny if it sucked. The trailer's good! <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, everyone, for joining me tonight through the technical difficulties, um pretty fun conversation so yeah i think we'll be back soon we'll probably be another two weeks or so we'll have to find another film to watch but thanks everybody for bearing with us and um yeah we'll see everybody next time say bye everyone bye Bye.